thanks, uh, thanks for coming. If you have uh, walked in after our uh, welcome, thank you for being the church and bringing it here. Uh, community of uh, intergenerational Christ followers and, and Christ seekers, want to thank you for um, being part of uh, what God's doing in us today and, and hopefully beyond. We last week began a series on uh, just generous living and what it means to live life generously in light of the gospel. If you are here, uh, you would remember, or if you were not here, let me bring you up to speed. Last week, we we talked about generosity. We realized uh, several things about it. That one, you don't need a lot to be generous. You don't need a lot in order to be generous. That's the first thing that we saw. Uh, We also saw that when we're generous, we look a whole lot like Jesus, the one who was rich but became poor for our sakes. We also saw that God blesses and rewards our generosity so that it can be repeated. He rewards our generosity not so that we could become rich for ourselves, but he rewards our generosity so that that generosity could be repeated so that others may continually see a picture of Christ in us. We also saw that generosity isn't just about money and about our our treasure, but it's about our talents and about our time and about the thanks that we offer to God as well. But today I want to kind of backtrack a little bit and say that even though generosity is not just about money, it never excludes our money. So when God says for us to be generous, I don't think it's acceptable for us to say, I'll be generous with my time and my talents and uh, the things that God has given to me, but I won't be generous with, with my money. There's a reason why in the Bible... There are about 500 verses about faith and 500 verses about prayer, but 2,000 verses about money. Isn't that interesting? You may have heard things like that. You might have heard numbers like in the Gospels when Jesus preaches his parables. Out of 38 parables, 16 of them deal with money. That Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Why is that? Why is it that one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels deals with money? I think it's the exact same reason why money is the number one factor in divorces and the breakdown of marriages because if you get the money thing right then a whole lot of the rest of life follows if you can get this whole deal with money right then the whole, so many things in the rest of life begins to fall into place as well i want to talk today about money and about finances and about uh, what it looks like to be generous by looking into god's words if you have your bible we're going to look at uh, malachi Chapter three, Malachi comes right before Matthew. So if you are, you know, you want to find uh, Malachi, just turn to Matthew and then flip back a couple pages. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi is the last prophet who spoke before John the Baptist, the last of the prophets, um, some hundreds of years before Jesus. And we're going to look at Malachi chapter three and talk a little bit about what this prophet and through this prophet God says to us about our generosity with our money, with our finances, and particularly with this idea of the tithe. This is Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. 
You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is God's word. Um, I... I think about three or four years ago, did a series on, uh, on finance, about three weeks, called the Mythbusters when it relates to money. Talked about the myth of more and the myth of mine and the myth of, of money ultimately. And I know it's been a while, but I think it's a good time for us to kind of uh, check in and ask ourselves how we're doing in this area. I know for me, uh, as I was going through that, that, that series, there's a lot of convictions, a lot of things that the Lord was challenging me about and speaking to me about. And for me, as I, as I think about this text, as I prepare today's talk, it was a reminder for me of things that God had convicted me of. And it's a good area for me to check myself and ask, how am I doing in regards to this area of, of my finances? And Malachi, again, he's the last of the prophets who's, pro- who's uh, prophesying. He's speaking to the children of Israel about a topic that is very important. If you read this short uh, four chapters, you'll see that he's pointing out seven areas in which the people of God had gone astray. He talks about how their marriages are falling apart because they're dating foreign women and marrying uh, people of other religions and stuff like that. And one of the things that he says is here's how I diagnose your spiritual sickness is that you have not been faithful in giving your offerings and your tithes to the Lord God. Because that's one of the seven symptoms of severe spiritual sickness. As he talks about this, he, he, he mentions this word tithe, and literally tithe means one-tenth, right, 10%. But what in the world is he talking about? I'm going to talk about uh, this idea of tithing and hopefully can flesh this out. And I, I want to make it understandable so that uh, the sixth graders in here understand that this is not just about mom and dad. This is about me. And so that all of us in here are like, you know what, this is about me as well. So uh, what does God's word say about tithe? Three things I think are pretty important amongst other things, but three things I don't want to talk about here. And the first thing is this tithing reminds us that it's all God's. Um, I, have an, I have an iPhone. I, I really like it. I, talk, I say that if there's one uh, purchase that has been made in my life in the past 20 years that has revolutionized the way that I live, it would be my iPhone. I hear are like, come on, welcome to the 21st century. But before I had an iPhone, I, all I had was a, was a phone that was all it did was make phone calls and text. Now that I've got my iPhone, it has revolutionized everything about the way I live. It really has. For, the, for better or for worse, I don't know. I think it's been better. But one of the things that it's done is it's given um, my, my little girl, Manny, something to play with. Now, she loves playing with my iPhone. There's only really one thing that we've put an app on it that she can actually play with. But she loves taking it and playing with it. And sometimes I'll see that she's called our senior pastor. And they've been, she's been talking with her for like four minutes. I'm like, Manny, what are you doing? But she loves looking at pictures and videos on there also. So there'll be times when uh, Olivia and I, we just kind of want to have some, some time and, and let Manny play. And so we're watching videos and we're laughing. And then Manny hears... Uh, the video playing and she like drops everything and she comes running and she's like starts whining she's like video video and she wants us to stop it so that she can climb up on bed and 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 watch it with us because she loves watching it there's one game on there um it's called tozzle it basically stands for toddler puzzle and she loves it some of our friends some of manny's friends have downloaded it on their iphones also so that she could play but she'll be playing uh with it and there will be times when as she's playing my phone will ring or that the text message will will come and and I'll go to Manny. I'll say, Manny, uh, can, can Daddy have his phone? And she'll say, no. And I'll say, Manny, uh, 
daddy needs it, and I'll give it right back to him. I'm trying to translate in my head because we talk, uh, surprisingly, we talk to our child in, in Korean, which is why her Korean is terrible. But um, so uh, I say, Manny, can, can, can daddy have his phone? And she's like, no. And I say, Manny, uh, daddy will, will use it, and I'll give it back to you. And she's like, no. So then I'll, I'll start getting into this issue of ownership and stewardship. I say, Manny, uh, whose phone is this? And she won't answer me. And so I'll say, Manny, is this Manny's phone or Daddy's phone? And then she'll know that she's in big trouble. And so she'll look up and she'll say, Manny's. <laughs> and I'll say, no. and so I'll take it from her and she'll cry. And she, it's, it's childish and childlike to think that just because I'm holding on to something, that this is mine. Don't we do that often? Actually, the Word of God tells us that. It says just because we hold on to something doesn't mean that it's ours. Here's how Rick Warren says. I don't know if he says it in Purpose Driven Life or what context, but he says, what you think you own is really on loan. It's borrowed. You understand this. You've got all this stuff, and then uh, one day we're all going to die. We're going to die, and that stuff is no longer ours. We've got to give it to somebody else, and they're going to hold on to it, and they're going to die, and then they're going to give it to somebody else. Or we all know how easily something that we're holding on to is taken from us. What we think we own is really on loan. See, there's something that, that, that happens when we begin to think that this stuff is ours. Right? Something begins to happen because we begin to love the things that we think are ours. You know, when you drive a rental car, we said this before, it's a rental, don't be gentle. When you're renting something, you treat it however you want. But if it's your own car, then you treat it a little bit nicer because there's something that happens when we think we own it is we begin to love it. And the Bible says that the love of money becomes the root of all kinds of evil. You've seen this show on, on HBO. I haven't seen it. We don't have the channel, but I've, I've read about it. It's called Lucky. Anyone seen this show, Lucky? Okay, no one? No one? Okay, cool. So I'll explain it. It, it, it just profiles five families, five people that have won the lottery. Right? Multi-millions of dollars, five families, and it tracks them. And it basically does case studies in their lives. There's this well, one Vietnamese guy named Quang. He's a Vietnamese immigrant. Before he won the lottery, his family was really tight. They're really close. Maybe I I think this is just kind of the Eastern mindset. They're very tight, always hanging out together. Soon as he won the $22 million, everyone started fighting for the money. The family began to fall apart. He's like, what am I going to do? So here's what he did. In this neighborhood, he bought and built five homes right next to each other so they could all live, so they could all share this money. But before you know it, it was all gone. $22 $22 million, just like that. Another family, middle, uh, middle, middle class couple, $110 million. They hit the lottery. They moved down here to Florida, and they just completely changed their lifestyle. And they went on to confess. They said, you know what? We have no friends anymore. We have no idea who we are. We wish that we had never hit that lottery. Five couples, all in like that. Another guy, he was homeless. He won $50 million, something like that. He didn't know what to do. He bought a house. He got a job. He got cleaned up. But as soon as he, he started, he realized, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. He sold his house. He lives in a motel, and he has a different prostitute that he stays with every night. Right? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what happens when we begin to think that this stuff is ours. 70% of people who win the lottery, uh, they end up losing it all, and 30% of them have tried to commit suicide. See, what we think we own is really on loan. And so he says, look, 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 here's spiritual malaise. It's how have we robbed you? He says in verse 8, in tithes and offerings. 
See, tithe a uh, 10% of whatever we receive as income. For if, if you earn wages, you make nine fifty an hour, a tithe is 95 cents of your hour, I mean, uh, every hour. That's your tithe. That's your 10%. If you make $50,000 a year, a tithe is, is $5,000. If you make $500 a week, that's $50. If I think this even applies to our young people. If, you're ma- if your parents are giving you $10 for allowance, your tithe is, is $1. And for you to give that to, to the Lord and say, this is my, my 10% of what you've given to me as a way of reminding myself that what I own, I'm sorry, what I think I own is really on loan, that this all belongs to you. See, this 10% is not a substitute for the rest of this. It's not like 10% is God's and 90% is mine. This 10% is a symbol that everything, all I have, like we saying, is yours. In the same, like we come here every, every Sunday and worship God one day out of seven. It's not a substitute for worship during the week, right? It's a sign, a symbol, a window into what our daily routine should be. Like every week I worship the Lord God. And this one day is a reminder that every day I live, I live for you. The same way, that's what our tithe is. It's not 10%, here you go, God, and I've got 90%. It's not a substitute for the whole. It's a symbol that this 10% that I give to you is a symbol that everything that I have is yours. All that I am and all that you have given to me is a blessing from God. And all of this is yours, God. That's what it is. And so God says we need to start somewhere in order to be generous. And so he said, here's a starting point. 10%, here's your starting point. He has to make it explicit. He couldn't just tell them to be generous like, like all of us. When we're children, our parents are teaching us. Nowadays, when, if you're older, your parents call you, and they, the first question they ask is, are you eating okay? Right? Isn't that what they ask you if you're away from home? Or if you've, even if you're, if you're living at home, they're asking, hey, what did you eat for lunch? Not because they – part of it is because when they were growing up, that's the questions that they had to ask because it was about survival. And so if you're eating well, it means that you're living well to your parents. But they always ask you, are you eating well? And my mom always says, oh, you know, you need to eat healthy. When I was younger, here's what she used to say. David, <laughs> you have to eat your carrots, you have to eat your lettuce, you have to eat your peas, you have to be, eat your green. And I would never eat any of those things. And she doesn't tell me today, okay, here's a list of all the things you need to eat. There's this food pyramid and four major food groups that you have to be eating from. She doesn't tell me that stuff. She says you need to eat healthy. When we're young, right, when we're starting out, we have to hear these things explicitly spelled out to us. Because this becomes where we learn how to do it. And then later, God just said, okay, be generous. But it begins practically so that it can move towards us just living by principle. So he starts out at this place and he says, look, our tithe is a reminder that everything we have belongs to God. That's the first thing that we see here about tithing. The second thing, second thing that we see is that tithing is the starting point of generosity. Okay, this is where it begins. Uh, Again, verse 8, it says, in tithes and offerings. Tithe was the 10%. Offerings, uh, literally what is, it's it's free will offerings. So you give your 10% and then your offerings on top of that is whatever you feel so inclined to give. He's saying, look, your tithe, your 10%, this is what is expected of you. No one in those days said, hmm, I wonder if I ought to tithe today. Hey, you know what? I feel really convicted that I ought to tithe today. Nobody said that. From the very beginning, they knew verses like Psalm 24.1 said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This all belongs to him. Therefore, I give 
my tithe. They knew verses like Haggai 2.8, the gold and silver are mine, declares the Lord. They knew verses like First Chronicles 29, where David was, was doing all this temple stuff. And, and God says to him, wealth and honor come from me because everything belongs to the Lord God. They knew verses like this. And so when God says, give your 10%, 10% he never, it never, they need, never needed to, to think about it, to pray about it, say, you know what? I feel like God is convicting me to give my 10% this week or this month. They never did it because everyone did it. It was the offerings that were kind of voluntary and free will. And as they felt so led to give, as God convicts us, we give uh, freely. But the 10% was, it's almost like us, like no one today None of us who, who, who live in apartments or houses say, okay, hey, you know what? Um, today's October 30th, November 1st is, going, is coming up. I, I kind of feel convicted by God that I should pay my rent this month. And who says that? You know, I really feel like God has been, been telling me that I should make my mortgage payment. Or, you know what? Uh, for some of you who are in school, oh, gosh, you know what? I really feel like today when I go to the, the lunch line, I feel, like, I feel like I have to pay for my food. None of us feel that way. Why? Because that's something that we do. That's part, of, that's part of life. And to the ancient Israelites, that's what God expected. This is just part of life. It's 10%. This is our rent for living on earth. This is, what we, this is, this is where we start. But he also says it's, it, it's a starting point of our generosity. This is, the, uh, this is the floor, not the ceiling of our generosity. Is if you can go above and beyond, all more power to you. You know that's 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 better because generosity is about. Okay, so New Testament. Does the New Testament talk about this idea of tithing? A lot of people say it doesn't. So what what are we supposed to do if if in the Old Testament it says we need to give our ten percent? I think when we begin, when we begin to give here, we begin with this understanding. Like we start someplace. Like when you go to a restaurant, maybe some of y'all will go out to eat later today and you'll go to um, Chili's or you'll go to Mimi's Cafe or something like that and you'll sit down to eat and the, the person will serve you. We know that when the bill comes, the, 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 standard, the standard tip is 15%, right? The standard tip is 15%. And to the degree that we, have, we feel like we have been, been graciously served, we will give more than that. Some will give 18, some will give 20. Some will, I heard um, baseball player Derek Jeter, he gives a 100% tip when he goes to eat at restaurants in New York. He gives 100% because he feels like he has been blessed in that way, and so he tips them in that way. The ultimate insult to a server would be if we give them nothing. There was a time when I uh, knew this guy, and he went out to eat one time, and he didn't have any money to give. Uh, to tip the waiter. And so he went to his car and he pulled out a bunch of change that he used for the toll. And he put a, bu- he, he counted it out as like $5 and something change. And he, he dropped it all on the, on the tray that you put your, that you put your credit card or your money and he gave it to them. And, and the, the waitress, the server uh, got it. And as he left, she chased him out and she took the change and she threw it at him. And she's like, you need this more than I need it. And I think you need this more than I do. For her, it was an insult that he would give that kind of stuff to her. See, 15% when you go to a restaurant is the minimum that we give because that's normal and standard what we give. And to the degree that we feel like we have received and been a recipient of generous service, then we give more than that. That's kind of the way it is. God says, well, there's got to be a starting point. So let's start with 10%. Okay, let's start here with 10%. I think a lot of times we feel like, you know what? I gave my 10%. I, get, I, did, I gave my tithe and I did a great thing. I did so much. 
Like I'm doing my, my tithe. But God says that's not the ceiling. He says that's the starting point of generosity. In the New Testament, he says, look, if in the Old Testament, that's what it was. But the New Testament, now we know so much more. We have tasted so much more grace. That we know Jesus, that we have salvation, we have the forgiveness of sins, that we don't slaughter animals anymore for sacrifice for the remission of our sins, that we know all of these things. Should not the gratitude be higher than it was for these Old Testament saints? That's why when he says tithing is the starting point, it's not the end. It's the beginning point. Like how silly would it be if a, if a man who proposes to his girlfriend and they're about to get married, and, and after they get married, they go on their honeymoon, they come back to home to Orlando, wherever it is. And, and she's like, honey, can I have $10 I want to get or $15 I want to get a haircut or something? And he looks at her. He's like, are you kidding me? You're asking me for money? Why would I give you money? He's like, uh, because that's kind of the relationship that we have here, isn't it? Like, are you, I gave you an engagement ring. I gave you a wedding ring. And now you want more from me? And what does he not understand? He doesn't understand that the engagement ring and the wedding ring is the beginning point. It's the starting point. It's not the, it's not the finish line. That's not the ceiling. That's the, that's the floor. If, you, if he were to give nothing else, then you wouldn't say, wow, he's generous for saving up two months, three months of his income and giving it to her. You would say, he's a miser. He's a jerk. He doesn't know what he's doing. That's not love. That's not grace. That's not kindness. Because a wedding ring, in the same way that a tip, in the same way that a tithe, these are all the, the starting point of generosity. If we can give more, then we ought to give more. Uh, Tim Keller, he's a pastor out at, at Redeemer Church in New York. He says there's, there's four things that you should look at. If you can, one, not burden yourself and, 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 and your financial situation. Two, that you, don't, you won't go into debt Three, that you won't burden other people. And four, you won't uh, be able to, to subtract from your ministry. Then you ought to go above and beyond the tithe. Especially given the fact that God has given so much to us. At tithing, 10% is the beginning point. So think about this as you think about the needs around you. As you think about people at school who don't have a lot, or you think about the mission field, or you think about the things that God is, is, is just burdening your heart for, the things that we look at and we say, you know what, that's, that's not right. Why is it like that? Could it be that God is placing that burden in our hearts for us to say, how can I be generous with what I offer to the Lord? Because tithing is a starting point of generosity. And then the last thing. The last thing is when we don't tithe, we commit robbery. When we don't tithe, we commit robbery. Um, this is kind of funny. In, in verse 8, when it says, will a man rob God? Literally, here, it, it, what it's saying is, will a man mug God? So God is saying, look, man, you, you're mugging me. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you withhold from me your tithes and offerings, that's highway robbery. You're mugging me, dude. He probably didn't say it like that, but he says, you're mugging me. You're robbing me. So rhetorically, yes, can a man mug God? Of course not. God is spirit. God is up there. We're down here. Of course we can't. And he says, yes, you can. They're like, really? How? It's in your tithes and offerings. Because when we withhold our tithing and our offering from God, because we're committing robbery because everything that we have ultimately belongs to God. I, I know some of us might be thinking, well, gosh, I don't know if I can 
if I can do that. 10% is a lot. I think about, think about if you make, okay, um, maybe you're, you work at a Chinese masseuse and you get $100 a week. $10 is a lot of money. Right? What can I get with $10? I can get, oh, two extra value meals from, from Chick-fil-A. $10, I can get like two and a half pounds at, at, at a frozen yogurt somewhere. I don't know, whatever it is. That, you think about the $10 that you can get. Uh, Lindsay just brought her, bought her brother $9 shoes from Target. You could buy a pair of shoes at Target, right? Oh my gosh, this $10. I don't think I can do that. But I think ultimately the question is, when we don't think we can make it on just 90%, think about if your paycheck was cut and you only receive 90% of what you currently get, would you be able to make things work out? If what you're making right now was cut to 90%, I guarantee you that we would find ways to make it work. We would cut our cable TV. We would not turn on the air conditioner, and we would, or we would wear tank tops around that. I don't know what you, maybe you would do that. Um, you would not turn on the heater as much. All of a sudden, that $4 Frappuccino, I don't need that anymore. See, it's so easy for us to rearrange our, our, our budget, our, our finances when it revolves around us. But when God says it, then all of a sudden, because I don't think I can do that. I don't, think I, can, I don't think I can make it anymore. The question is, here's the interesting question, is do we believe that God can make your $9 stretch further than you can make your $10 go? Do you believe that God can stretch your 90% further than you can stretch your 100%? Because here's the interesting thing. God says it's robbery, not just against me, but look at what he says. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe, not just 6%, 7%, the whole tithe into my storehouse that there may be food in my, in my house. And then he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Like he's able to do all things and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. God says, test me, try it. You believe me. 2005 Forbes magazine, there's an article called The Irrational Act. And this guy, uh, a Christian uh, financial guy, wrote an article about all of these Christian CEOs, ballers, making tons of money, and their irrational act of tithing. And he lists these people. He says every single one of them have testimonies of how God has poured into their lives so much more blessing because of their irrational act to decide to tithe. And the question is, the question of Aladdin to Princess Jasmine, he holds out his hand, he says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Because if you do, holy cow, I can show you the world, he says. Do we trust him? Ultimately, that's the question. Do we believe that God can really do that? See, when we withhold our tithe and our offering, not only are we robbing God who rightfully owns it, but we're robbing ourselves of a whole new world out there that's shining and shimmering and all these things, but we're robbing ourselves of so much excitement on this journey of joy and, and just testing and seeing and testing and seeing and rewarding God, rewarding us so that we can continually be generous. Not only that, but think about when we withhold our tithe, not only do we rob God and ourselves, but we rob the world of the blessing of the things that can be done with that 10% of our finances. 
given in the hands of God. We talk about small things. Maybe for some of y'all, 10% is small potatoes, but we think about uh, bread and fish. Kept in the hands of a little boy, he fed himself. Given to God, he fed 5,000 plus. Let me, let me uh, read some, some figures for you. Christian Smith, another guy named Emerson, wrote a book called Passing the Plate. One in four American Protestant, people like you and me, one in four give less than $5 a year. Okay, less than $5 a year. That's about 10 cents a week to God. He goes on. Only 2.9%, less than 3% of evangelicals tithe to their local church. Less than 9% tithe who are born-again Christians. Under 35 years of age, okay, under 35 years of age, only 2% tithe. People who make between forty dollars and $60,000, 2%. says churches in America are operating at 10 to 20% of their financial potential. In other words, he's saying all the hopes and dreams that churches in America have were sitting on those resources. He said, if American Christians gave their tithe, it would generate, depending on who you ask, 130 to 170 billion dollars. Okay, not talking about Austin Powers billion dollars. This is real. 130 to 170 billion dollars a year. Okay, so 130, 170, get this. Americans spend 700 billion on entertainment alone. But listen to what this 160, 130 to 170 billion can do. We could give basic health care and education to all the poor on the earth, all the poor people on the earth. We could eliminate poverty. We could provide primary education for all children throughout the world. Clean water to most of the poor. 150,000 new missionaries could be trained and sent forth. 50,000 more seminarians could be trained. Six and a half million refugees could be cared for. This doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. You see, we have been blessed with so much. The poorest 5% in America are richer than 70% of the world's population. The poorest 5% are in the same class as the richest 5% in India. See, if we were to tithe, then the world's, so many of the issues in the world as it relates to tangible, practical needs could be eliminated, could be cared for. Needless death would be eliminated. Right, here's how, let me break it down. I forget who said this, but there is enough in our hands for the world's need, but not enough for our greed. All of a sudden, to me, going out and watching that movie is a whole lot less important than maybe just getting a 99-cent blockbuster rental. All of a sudden, getting that $3 refillable soda isn't as important as just getting some water, which is healthier for us, which is what people are dying of in foreign lands. All of a sudden, that, that extra shot of espresso doesn't seem all that important to me. There's enough in our hands for the world's need, but not enough for our greed. And I know that we're not going to cause everyone in the world, all Christians in the United States even, to give. But we could start here. My goodness, we could start here. Think of what could happen if we all began to give a tenth and on top of that, whatever else we can. 
so that we could care for, for people in need, so that we could be able to, to, to provide for, for many people in our midst who need professional care in whatever it might be for, for missions training, for seminary education, for college education, but people can't afford it, for counseling needs to bring on. What if we could bring on a full-time counselor? How much would that help? our spiritual lives and our healing and our journey towards you. What if we could send out more missionaries? What if people could, would sign up for missions and not be afraid if, if God could care, for, if God will provide for my needs? What if we begin to give freely like that? What a difference. What a difference it could make. How much quicker the kingdom of God could go forward if we were, if we were, were able to give as generously as we could. If God owns it all, if he's got it all, if he needs nothing, if we're not giving to him, why is, it, why is he asking for all this stuff? What does he want from us? At the very end of the day, he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our tithe. He wants our lives. He wants our hearts. He knows that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why when God stood before creation, eternity in his hands, he didn't send a debt collector. He sent his son, God incarnate, to be the debt payer. That Jesus came and he took upon his shoulders all of our greed and all of our selfishness in all of our sin, that I've taken it and I've died so that you don't have to be punished. I've died so that you could know grace, so that as you've tasted it, you could freely give. Of what I've given to you, give that to those in need so that they might have life, so that they might go and live a life of gracious generosity. So come before the Lord God. I'm so thankful that God didn't come. And we stand before him on judgment day. He didn't say, give me your life or give me your money. But he sent Jesus to take our place. And now because of grace and because of love, we give. Because we have received from God. If we have been blessed by God, if we've been touched by God, he says, join me on a great adventure. Oh, see the things that could be done. See the things that I could do and the places that we could go as a congregation for the glory of God and for the expansion of his kingdom. Oh, the places I would take you if you would join me on this ride of faith. And he holds out his hand. He says, will you join me? The moment of conviction is the moment of action, my friends. It's not for us to wait and to wait and to dilly-dally. But God's saying, if you feel that conviction now, then let's make a commitment now. That God, I will rearrange and look at my budget and my finances and I will give my 10% and whatever more I can. And I will know the joy and the exhilarating pleasure of entrusting you with all of my life. 
we can just pray like that to the Lord. Maybe as his kindness leads us to repentance, you may want to say, God, forgive me for holding it on my own and, and not giving it. Let's take a couple moments to come before the Lord in prayer. It's asking the Lord, Father, whatever you want to do in me, I know what is explicitly spelled out right now is 10%, but God, if you're convicting me to do more, convict my heart that I might be open to you. Let, let's pray. Let's just pray together for a couple moments. I'll close for us. We'll continue to worship through our giving and our songs. Let's, let's pray to the Lord as we respond to his word. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst. I thank you for the servant-hearted people of Harvest who time and time again have shown grace and generosity and hospitality and love, have witnessed and lived out and played out the gospel so that so many who've come in and out of our congregation in our familial life have experienced you. And God, by grace, we believe that you're calling us to a even more radical place of of giving and generosity, calling us to a place of even deeper giving of ourselves so that it even does cut into the way that we live so that we could share in the burden and share in the need of other people. Father, forgive us for having received so much and then not really realizing it. Father, for, for some of us, maybe we realize today how blessed we really are pray that as you convict our hearts, that we would freely and gladly open up our hands and our hearts to give. That as we give of our finances, that you would really know that we're giving of our heart to you. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.